0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 307, and this week, how to become an expert witness as a small firm architect with David Delvecchio. This episode of Entree Architect podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, ArCAT. The online resource delivering quality building material information CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at rcat.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto, easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. David Del Vecchio, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey Mark, it's good to have you here, David. You it's are great a to be here. you are a longtime member of the Entree Architect community. Um, I remember your name way back, so you've been following me and what I've been doing for a long time. You've been an active member in the community uh, throughout the community, especially on the Facebook page at the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. Uh, you're there helping other architects become better architects, and so. Before we get started with anything, I want to thank you for being a a long-time member of the community and for sharing the knowledge you have with others. Well, thanks for that opportunity.
1: I really enjoy it.
0: Uh, David DelVecchio runs an architectural interior design and expert witness practice, servicing two distinct yet related clients in the building design and construction industry. In his expert witness practice, Dave... Uh, works mainly with architects, the insurance companies who insure them and the attorneys who defend them to provide the support they need to successfully settle and litigate claims made against the architect. And after three decades of doing that, with that type of practice, David's new focus is on training and mentoring a whole new generation of architects to become better expert witnesses. And so that's going to be the topic of our conversation today as the uh, architect expert and uh, David, has been an expert for a long time and now he's teaching other architects how to do that and the benefits of doing that. And so uh, we're going to have that conversation and share a little bit about that with you in this episode. But before we do that, I want to do what we do every time at the beginning of this show is to dive into your origin story, David. I'd love to uh, learn more about how you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect and share that story from that in your life to where you find yourself today?
1: Oh, great. Well, you know, I started college at uh, RIT studying graphic arts. And after two years, realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. So um, I kind of struggled with what it is I wanted to do. I had an idea. My dad was an engineer. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> and he didn't want me to become an architect. Uh, but uh, I actually went to the Johnson O'Connor Research Center, and they, they, they told me I had these certain aptitudes to either be an artist or an engineer. I said, well, how about an architect? They said, well, that works too. So uh, I went to school, um, I took a a little time off and I went to school at Arizona State for a couple of semesters, studying architecture and fell in love with it. Uh, Started running out of money because I'd been in school for three years. Took another semester off and ended up going to where my father graduated as an engineer in 1942, uh, Newark College of Engineering, it was renamed the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And uh, spent another four and a half years there and uh, became an architect. Um, Soon after getting my license, however, (laughs) like uh, happens to most architects, uh, a recession hit. And uh, my father invited me to uh, come along and and start doing some expert work. He had gotten out of design work. Um, He worked on some iconic buildings in New York City, like the TWA Terminal, uh, the uh, U.N. General Assembly Hall, Yankee Stadium, all sorts of buildings. Uh, around the city, but he got out of design work um, and got into doing expert work. So I started a small design practice and uh, worked with him on his his practice. Uh, and when he decided to retire, I shifted the focus from civil engineering to the architect
0: standard of care.
1: And 30 years later, here I am. So I don't know if you need more than that. I can tell you more, but that's uh, I want to keep it in a nutshell.
0: So, so the expert business that your dad had, was that his sole business? Was that what he did for a living, was, was an expert witness?
1: When he left New York City and he started working out of our house, yeah, uh, yeah he, he did some design work, uh, mostly residual work. Um, his, his specialty were, was uh, curtain walls and roofs. As a matter of fact, the UN General Assembly, my dad likes to remind me, was the first curtain wall building designed, but not the first one built. The Seagram's building was built first. But the U.N. was designed first. And he worked on the, the U.N. building, uh, and he, he was one of the, uh, the pioneers in curtain wall systems.
0: Very uh, interesting.
1: And then he got out, of, uh, got out of that and did a lot of uh, civil engineering, road work, uh, slip and fall cases and things like that. Not exactly what I do, but um, the reality is I actually was working with him when I was 13 years old. Uh, he would have me looking up Boca Codes. Um, he knew what the what the answers were, but he had me go look it up for myself, and got me interested in, in how building codes work when I was a teenager. Um, and then about ten years or so later, I, I really got into it um, as a profession.
0: It's, it's it's very interesting because very often when um, a child, you know, witnesses what their parents do, they they reject what they do, right? They don't want to do that, right? Exactly. Especially when you're an architect. <laughs> And your dad's an engineer, and your dad didn't want you to be an architect, and and so was there any of that conflict with you, with internally with you, whether I don't want anything to do with that, I want to do my own thing.
1: No, I I, I loved art in in high school. I was uh, I took graphic arts at my high school. We're very lucky to have a, a very active print shop, um, and I really enjoyed that, and it was my way to not be an engineer. So that's why I went to RIT and studied it. However. Um, I saw the writing on the wall with that profession and a lot of people who were in the business will tell you desktop publishing killed the, art, the uh, hmm. graphic arts profession for a number of years and I kind of got out by the skin of my teeth. Kind of out of the frying pan into the fire, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that was the, the impetus to, 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 to do something that was technical and art related um, that wasn't engineering specifically and uh, that's why graphic arts came up first and then... Uh, Actually, the school I went to, um, I hated the buildings I was in, and I started noticing building design by living in what I thought was a terrible dorm. I, hate, I don't even want to say who the architect was, <laughs> but, but uh, I don't think the building was designed to be in a subarctic environment. I think it was more or less more designed to be in a desert, frankly.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And that kind of piqued my interest in, in building design.
0: Yeah. Uh, so do you? Do you? Because you're clearly passionate in about architects as as experts today do you Do you remember the moment where um it went from oh that's interesting that's something my dad does to clearly you had it you know the 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 recession sort of forced you into it or at least gave you the opportunity to to pursue it um where was the shift between oh i'm gonna do that because it's something I can do and the passion that you have for it today
1: well uh I guess it all began when I got laid off, (laughs) Uh, you know, a month or so before Christmas, and I had to do something. Yeah. Um, And I had been doing some of the work uh, on the weekends and spare time with my father all along. Um, But I think the shift was when my dad made me the president of his corporation uh, and then retired and did it gradually enough that I could shift the focus to what architects do. And it is significantly different than what engineers do. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, certainly different than the work he was doing. Um, and I guess at that point uh, when you sign your first report and get that big check and you say, wow, this
0: is pretty cool. <laughs> there's uh, the passion, the passion, yeah, of, no, the it's, dollars it's, well, show it's, up. It's,
1: re- it's not the passion. It's the reward. Yeah. There's, there's a difference. The, the passion is that I, I like to help disentangle problems. It's mm-hmm. always been one of the things I like to do. I used to like to take apart electronics as a kid and put them back together and build stereo equipment and things like that. Um, so I, I always had that. I, I like solving puzzles, and uh, a lot of what we do as experts is help people solve those those puzzles.
0: Yeah, and and I'm sure it, it, being an architect and having architect training lends itself to that because we're trained to be problem solvers, and and we're doing it in in a different way, but but we have those skills from our training.
1: That's true. There, there's some skills that an that an expert needs that architects don't typically get in their curriculum, that I happened to get at at graphic art school. Uh, At RIT, I I had a a business law class, and that was required, basically. I also took uh, human resources classes, Um, and a technical writing class, probably most important. I had a technical writing class taught by a guy who wrote manuals for nuclear subs, and he really taught you something about being concise and and specific and how to footnote every single line, which is kind of what I do in most of my expert reports is make sure that there's a source behind what I'm saying. It's not just my personal opinion. It's an expert opinion.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting that the graphics design program had all those business courses in the architecture program. Even to this day, most architecture programs do not focus on any sort of business other than professional practice course.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, the big lie they say is that you'll learn that when you get out in the field. But who are you learning it from? Right. People who have never had that training themselves? <laughs> right. it's, it's, really, it's really a shame. Yeah. There's some very successful architects out there I know who have gone out and got economics degrees or MBAs. And they seem to do very well in the business environment, more so than, than people who jump right into the design profession.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I want to get into this, this, this idea of uh, architects being experts. Can, you, can we start at the beginning and sort of define what an architect expert is?
1: Well, sure. Um, I'll give you the brief. You can get a more detailed explanation from a friend of mine who chimed in, Fred Butters, who's an architect and a, but a practicing attorney for the last 25 years or so. But um, I gave a very short response. And basically, uh, an expert is somebody who's hired by a party to a, a dispute, in this case construction or design disputes either side or sometimes even by the courts to explain uh, the technical uh, jargon and uh, the standard of care, what's expected of, uh, normally expected of of an architect in a similar situation doing a similar type of project. Um, It's not a personal opinion about, I've been doing this for 25 years, therefore my opinion is, but you have to back it up with something, um, a code, a standard uh, recognized, uh, standard or regulations that, that you can base your opinion, uh, on, on what this, the, uh, what's happening out in the
0: business world. Can you give an example of a case that you've, that you've been part of?
1: uh well, and, me... and what,
0: and what you've done as, as the expert.
1: Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to come up with one that I, 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 I'm very careful about protecting yeah, and it could be hypothetical Obviously. too doesn't it doesn't yeah. have to be a real yeah.
0: a real because I understand yeah that. Um, mm.
1: hmm. yeah I, I've done everything from from simple residential uh, design and construction failures I, I do mostly defense sometimes I do plaintiff as well um, to uh, even things that you wouldn't even think are related to architecture I just finished a case involving a scaffold inside a barge, hmm. uh, which normally is not something you think of as, as something an architect would do, but I'm pretty familiar with OSHA regulations. I've done a number of cases of people falling off of scaffolding, and the other side hired an architect. So they said, well, well then we need an architect on our side. Um, so it, it's it's understanding what the regulations are and whether uh, and who is responsible to follow those regulations. So this could
0: uh, this could be anything. This could be uh a, a, an injury claim. This could be a, a, a construction, you know, uh detail failure, right? It could be any anything where there's a dispute and there's some sort of question in, in uh that's based on construction or building. It's where your your expertise would come in.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's either a, a an alleged uh construction or design defect. Uh, A lot of times it gets into the uh, construction administration aspect, the uh, the change orders. I've had cases with over 600 change orders. Um, Or it could be shop drawings. Uh, I find that a lot of times architects don't even understand what's in their own spec. And uh, if I dig deep enough, I'll be able to find uh, something that shows that the architect had it somewhere in their construction documents and use it as a defense. And uh, very often the architect didn't realize that they had had it covered. Um, And it's important they understand what's in their their specs because there's no way to administer the construction unless you know what you told them to do. Uh, And that's where the confusion comes along. Uh, A a big point of confusion, I believe, is when architects uh, are not hired to do construction administration. And they only get called when the lawsuit starts, not when the problems start. If you're involved during construction administration, uh, you have a better opportunity to solve the issues and get paid while doing it rather than, than start paying a deductible to, uh, to defend yourself uh, using your E&O, your errors and emissions insurance policy. Um, so, yeah, a lot of what I do is, is uh, either design um, and construction related or the, the administration of the contract.
0: And you're usually defending the architect, right? That's, that's your, your position typically?
1: Typically, but I've defended interior designers. Uh, I, I did a case uh, down in Atlantic City at a casino um, where an interior designer was being sued because the other side alleged there was too much static coefficient of friction between the rug and the chair. Too much. And that caused this woman to trip and fall. It was a, a trip when she got up from her chair. And I actually proved that the way the chair fell back, there's no way it would hit her anyhow. Um, So, I was able to get that uh, architect out of that lawsuit.
0: We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop, stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation, RCAT. RCAT RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com, that's A-R-C-A-T, rcat.com and start building better content today. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them, without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free. Free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com FreshBooks. entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. To get started, visit EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll and benefits? Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay, it's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, just go to entrearchitect.com slash Gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash Gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and gusto please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the entree architect community so so if somebody wanted to you know architects we're all listening you know there's a bunch of architects listening right now and we're thinking oh i didn't even think that was something i could do or or it is somebody that's thinking that's something that i am interested in doing what are some of the Basics to just to determine whether this is something that would be right for an architect to do
1: Well, that's that's a big question Um, Clearly I Think that an expert needs to be able to write at a slightly higher level than the average architect and have to be willing to read Thousands or tens of thousands of documents to get to the the answer Uh, one case I worked on the construction manager Alone submitted over 50,000 documents and I found the piece that got the architect out towards the end of that. There was also a GC who had a similar number of documents and the architect had their own documents and the owner had their documents. So t- sometimes you can be reading cases and cases of paper. If you're not into reading, it um, might not be the thing for you. But one thing I will tell you is that over, over time you learn how to read. Like if you pick up a deposition, you know what the first ten pages is going to say. And you know that the end of it is going to be uh, an index. So you can cut out a lot of what you need to do. And you learn how to scan for the things that are important to your case. A lot of times I'm reading depositions. They talk about uh, medical injuries and things. And I just know that's not my thing. So I could just skim past that. So you will learn how to read faster and how to call out those things that are, are going to be important to making your case.
0: So it's like a treasure hunt. You know that there's uh, there's something in that big pile of documents somewhere and you just need to know where to find it and be willing and determined enough to to keep digging until you find that piece that will help the, the your client.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've literally been put in a basement full of boxes and told to look through them and pick out what I want, which is really unusual for the other side to want to do that. As a matter of fact, when I did that, I found a document uh, that basically would have exonerated the architect other than the fact that it was probably not discoverable. It was uh, protected under attorney-client privilege. But uh, it was astounding that I saw that, that the attorney actually said, look, we know the architect really wasn't at a fault, but he has a policy and the other guy doesn't. That happens all the time.
0: Yeah. What
1: would have to remember, I think that a lot of people don't understand that a lawsuit is not a proof, it's a claim. And everybody's entitled to make that claim. Uh, and everybody's entitled to their own legal counsel. And those legal counsel end up hiring experts to help them sort through and explain it. Basically, what we need to do as an expert is to, you have to think in in terms of being able to explain it to a jury, uh, whether it goes to court or not. And very few of my cases do. I'd say about 5% ever go to court or even arbitration. So you have to be able to explain it in simple language. And they say to target a fifth grader, and that's probably about right. Because you don't know the educational or the the uh educational experience or their familiarity with construction we take things for granted and that's part of the problem we can speak amongst architects and know exactly what we're talking about but the average layman who ends up on a jury has no idea what a shop drawing is construction administration i I didn't know architects even did that that you you get that kind of response
0: so if if there is somebody who's listening who who uh who wants to do this and um and in, they're not sure, right, of, of how to do it or how to get started doing it. Um, what's, what's like the first step that they should be taking in order to, to, uh, to start pursuing this idea of, of doing this?
1: Well, you know, I was lucky enough to have a mentor. My dad, he was my mentor and he taught me this. Um, it might be a good idea uh, if you are interested in this to work at a firm that does this work. And there are a lot of design firms that also do forensic work. And I'm not talking about a lot of architects will do one in their career, but there are some people who make it a, a part of their, of their business uh, to increase their revenue stream. So, you know, maybe they do 25% of their work is doing forensic investigations and, and expert witness testimony. It would be worthwhile to go work with them or work alongside them somehow, if you could. For, and for,
0: just for the listeners, forensics is when, when something fails, you're going in to look to see what caused it to fail, right?
1: Right, and a lot of times it's investigating the, the documents. Sometimes the, the, the situation doesn't, the condition doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, so you have to recreate what probably led to that alleged situation. I say alleged because we never know whether it's it's true or not. Uh, so you, the other thing you need to remember too, and I just had to interject at that point, is that um, you shouldn't be deterred because you got a report from the other side that says that the building's fallen apart and it's all the architect 's fault. You got to take everything with a grain of salt um, there's a lot of hyperbole sometimes on the on the plaintiff side where of course everything's the architect's fault again, it probably has something to do with um, who's who has a, an insurance policy and uh, who's still in business. Um, you may find, for instance that uh, the person who's really responsible is no longer business. They declared bankruptcy and and um, they they can't be touched. It's, they, they say you have a, an empty seat at the table. Um, and yeah, you can point to the empty seat, but if there's a judgment against them, you're never going to collect a dime. Um, so they, you know, that's, that's something to keep in mind. Is, uh, that, you know, the reasons why people target architects is because a lot of times we're the only people who are still
0: standing. And we're covered. Most of us have, have uh, you know, insurance, and they know that if they, they sue the architect, the insurance company will pay them.
1: Well, it's not even whether they have the policy or not. that we're not able to uh, to just declare bankruptcy and say I'm no, no longer responsible for what I did? Yeah. Where contractors can, right, uh, right. <laughs> that yeah. happens all the time too. Uh, I, I was on a case and they mentioned a contractor. I thought I knew his name, and uh, I, w- I was told that he was, according to the lawsuit, that he was out of business. He declared bankruptcy. Turns out, he just changed his name, and he was still <laughs> operating, doing the same exact business.
0: Yeah. So, is is this something that an architect can do while practicing a, a traditional architecture?
1: Uh, not only can they do it while I, I suggest that they do that. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, one of the senior uh, claims, uh, uh, the guy who hands out the, the work to architects and to to, to the attorneys, uh, the claim supervisor. Uh, and I asked, I said, you know, I was thinking of doing this full time and giving him my design practice. And his response was, if you stop designing, we'll stop hiring you. Because when we go to court and the other side, the first question we have for their expert is, when's the last time you designed a building? Yeah. And if it's more than five or 10 years, they're going to say, well, how do you possibly know what the standard of care is now if you're no longer a designer? Now, they might have a response to that, but it certainly doesn't help. So um, I... I it's tough to balance the two, uh, but I do like to keep a, a, an active design practice. They're not huge pro, uh, projects, but uh, they're usually semi-related to the expert work. Somebody comes to me because they started um, they started construction on a, on a project without any permits. <laughs> I know how to help them. Um, that's not exactly expert work, but it's it's semi-related to that. Uh, it's helping people dig out of a hole. I have another client. To uh, put up a barbed wire fence and pave their property without getting any kind of site plan approval, and uh, we had to go down and uh, throw us, you know, throw ourselves down on, uh, on our sword, fall on our sword, and say, "Look, how do we fix this?" And it's about finding the solution, not about laying blame at that point. Um, unfortunately, when the lawsuit happens, it, it mostly is about finding somebody to blame.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so now you're in this position that you are now taking the expert skills that you have, all these years of, of uh, experience, and you are helping other architects learn how to do this. You're mentoring them and training them on how to do that. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. What's your plan? This is relatively new uh, uh, for you. And uh, so what's, what's your plans on, on the architects? I think it's the Architect Expert Academy.
1: That's right. Um- It's brand new. As a matter of fact, it's still, I think, in pre-launch. But I figured I'd get it out there because, uh, like most architects, we have some great ideas and they never come to fruition because we we just never follow through. So I decided this year I'm following through. And because of a comment that was made on on your page, uh, somebody said, well, you know, you have a fan page. That's no good. You need to create a group. So I immediately, it only took about an hour, created a group. And uh, within two days, now I have over 150 members. Uh, so it's, it's great, and I hope to make that a couple thousand members uh, within the first six months or so. Uh, but I have some plans about uh, training sessions. I, I work with a business coach, and um, he has a great interest in helping architects uh, have better businesses as well. It's a slightly different take than, than what you do. He's, he's actually a CPA, so he's more on the financial end. He's a, a profit-first coach, and a book-yourself-solid coach, um, and I've been working with him for a number of years. And, you know, it's, it's it's interesting. Coaches have coaches, too. Uh, so, um, but I have a, some, some grand ideas that if it comes to fruition, I can imagine that we're going to have a multi-day event. And uh, I've mentioned what the idea of the multi-day event is to a couple architects who are also attorneys. And the response invariably is, I wish I thought of that first. Um, so hopefully they're not going to go ahead and do my idea without me. But I'm going to bring in... Uh, other outside experts like attorneys, business coaches, people who uh, teach uh, people how to speak, uh, public speaking. Uh, I've got a number of different people in mind, people that I've used that I like to uh, leverage to help uh, architects get comfortable speaking in public, uh, uh, increase their their writing skills uh, and uh, increase their bottom line, frankly.
0: Yeah. What, what, what could people expect in terms, of, and I know you can't give me an exact answer here, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there thinking, well, how much can I make doing this? How does it compare to a to a design practice?
1: Well, um, I'm not exactly sure what everybody out there charges, but I have an inkling because when you do the expert work, you kind of get a, 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 a nose under the tent, uh, so to speak, so you see what other architects are charging. And... Um, I can tell you that a small firm can make as much as, as a principal in a large firm by doing it. So that might mean doubling uh, their hourly rate. But, you know, it takes some time. It might even be tripling, by the way. But it, it does take some time to, to, to have that level of expertise um, and comfort with being able to charge that kind of money. But you, I, I, I can imagine that uh, even if you did 25% of your work, doing this type of work, you can increase your your revenue by fifty
0: percent. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners Without, just just perked up. <laughs> like this right. is even more interesting now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be nice? And we try and do this with our design work. Wouldn't it be nice in our design work if we did uh, if we charged twice as much and only did half of, half the number of projects? Uh, I'm not a big fan of of doing a. a a whole lot of projects uh, for very little money. I've never have been, and it's uh, you know that that pressure to reduce your fee has been so great um, that this is this is a way to one of many ways, as a matter of fact, to to increase your revenue stream to create a whole new revenue stream.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is this is a much needed group. This is, I think, there's a vacuum for this. I think that uh, that architects generally know that that exists out there. I don't think a lot of us know exactly what you do. Some of us are very interested in it and there's not enough information out there for us uh, to learn about it. So your Facebook group, which we'll have a link to uh, in our show notes, this is episode 307. So the link will be entrearchitect.com slash episode 307. We'll have a link directly to the Facebook group or you could just go on Facebook and search the Architect Ex- Expert Academy and that'll get you right there. Um, so I, I, I if you're interested, you should join the Facebook group first of all, uh, because that is a, the place where you'll learn everything else that you need to know about the Academy. As it as it evolves and as it grows and the, the different uh, events that that David is planning, you'll have access to all the information right there at the Architect Expert Academy on Facebook. Um, also, on David's website, the website is DDVAIA. So uh, David Del Vecchio, AIA.com. So it's DDVAia.com We'll have a link to that on the show notes as well. Um, there, There's a whole section about the Architect Expert Academy there as well, so you can learn more about that. And you can connect with David uh, right there, uh, either in the Facebook group or on, on the website. It'll be very easy to to find him. Uh, David? And
1: if all else fails, they could just email me, and, and uh, I'll, I'll get them to the right spot.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So this, I'm, 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 a, I'm a member of the group, I'm following along, I'm super interested in, I, I don't have time to become an expert, <laughs> but <laughs> but I am super interested in, in anything that helps architects build better businesses and, and serve the world. And I, I think that this group, the Architect Expert Academy is a group that will better serve the world by doing expert work. So um, David, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Uh, What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: I think the the one thing they should do is to start acting like a big firm. Um, Start charging like a big firm. Start being as accountable as a big firm might be. You might be the only person doing all the work, but um, you need to be the person to uh, make sure that everything is up to your standard. Uh, whatever that may be, hopefully it's a high standard. So uh, think, think big., yeah. that's, uh, you know reach reach a little farther. and when you don't think you can reach any more, reach a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that's very good advice. i've I have one other question that just popped into my mind. You sure. being an expert, you seeing these architects uh, on a regular basis having to defend themselves? Is there one thing that every architect should be doing that you think that they're not doing properly now? that might keep them out of trouble, keep them out of the the need for your expertise?
1: Well, um, one thing I come across a lot is um, new materials that look like traditional building materials being treated as if they're traditional building materials. So I would, if you're using synthetic um, stone or cement board siding uh, or some of these newer uh, sheathing systems, that may or may not be on pressure-treated panels, uh, I suggest you look at what the manufacturer's spec says and how you should be using them, because I see those, pro- those three products in particular being used incorrectly a lot, an awful lot. Uh, they may look like traditional building materials. And the problem is that you know, we may put that spec in our, in our contract documents but we use them uh, without regard to what the spec, how the spec says to use it, and then when you look at the manufacturers, often their their promotional materials and their their photography of past projects is showing it used incorrectly too. So use your own independent judgment uh, after you read their specs and say, well, oh, it says I need to create two inches of clearance from the ground. I should probably you know, not put this material below grade. Um, so traditional. Our new materials that look like traditional materials should not be used the way traditional materials can be used.
0: Yeah, that's very good advice. We're actually in the middle of a renovation project on our new house here in North Carolina, actually a full renovation of an old house from the 90s, uh, which you probably would be find very interesting. We pulled off synthetic stucco, <laughs> which we yeah. thought would be a disaster, and we ended up not with a disaster, luckily. we We had planned for the disaster, but it wasn't there. Um, and we're putting on cement siding, we're putting on hardy board, and and it was very interesting to learn. We, first of all, it's very hard to find contractors who would follow the instructions, because they all want to put it on as traditional material as well, right. um, and uh, and when you look at the manufacturer's instructions and start seeing all of the clearances and the gaps and the differences in the area of where, where it can uh, be exposed to and where it can't be exposed, it's very different than a cedar siding. Um, And from an architectural point of view, you need to come to terms with that, that there are some big gaps that you didn't typically have big gaps. Um, And so that's excellent advice to when you're using a a material that is not a traditional material, uh, that may look like a traditional material. Make sure you're reading the manufacturer's instructions, using the details that they say that you should be using, uh, and then make sure that the general contractor is looking at those, that it's actually being installed the way it should be.
1: That that point brings up a a case I did a number of years ago, uh, about a year before uh, Sandy hit on the Jersey Shore, where a contractor installed about $120,000 worth of siding using roofing nails instead of (laughs) ring shank nails. So he maybe saved a couple hundred dollars in nails, maybe, and they had to tear off all that $120,000 worth of siding and replace it. And with the legal fees and my fees, you know, it ended up being... A pretty big hit. Yeah. His his response was, "I've done it hundreds of times like this." And I asked him for a list of those names. <laughs> he didn't want to yeah. share them with me. Uh, but uh, I think he lucked out because the next year Sandy hit, and uh, he could blame it all on on a superstorm instead of his him using the wrong nails. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, his name is David Delvecchio. His group is called the Architect Academy. Oh, the Architect Expert Academy. The Architect Expert Academy. Um, the website, again, is ddvaia.com, uh, and there's a great Facebook group that's, uh, that's growing rapidly. So if you're looking for in- more information about being an expert witness as an architect, go there, uh, and you'll be able to find all the information and contact David and do everything uh, that you want to with this new idea that you have in your head. Go do it. Great. David, thanks, Mark. David, I'm uh, I'm super looking forward to seeing where you go with this. From from not only sharing your information and sharing your knowledge, continuing to share your knowledge as an architect leader here, um, but to to watch you grow this new idea into something big. Um, it'll be exciting to to watch that. And you know, I you have my support and anything I can do to help you do that, you just let me know and and we'll we'll get the word out there for you.
1: Wow, I, I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Mark.
0: Thanks for this conversation and thank you again for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. You have been listening to episode 307. If you'd like the show notes for this episode, the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 307. I do ask that you go share that with one or two friends. That would help us get the word out about what we're doing here at Entree Architect and to share the show. So I would appreciate that. The link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 307. You know, at the end of every episode, I say the words, love, learn, share, as a quick reminder to, uh, to, to live a better life, to love one another, to learn as much as you can, and to share that information with others so they can benefit. Because I believe that's the way that we can make the world a better place. But I also believe that, it, it, that applies to our profession. I think that's how we grow a better profession. That's how we, we build a better architecture profession. And when knowledge is selflessly shared among a group of professionals in a private, secure setting, each member of that group benefits exponentially, exponentially from the collective knowledge of that entire group, right? That's how our mastermind groups work. For more than seven years, we've witnessed small firm architects from all over the world transform their businesses and their own personal lives through powerful peer group memberships right here at Entree Architect. They're called Entree Architect Masterminds. If you're interested in a mastermind, go check out entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. It t- tells you all about it and learn, and you can learn all about it. It's built for small firms and sole practitioners. But earlier this week, we launched something brand new, brand new. It's called Entree Architect Leadership Council. And Entree, Entree Architect Leadership Council is an advanced peer advisory program that brings together experienced, motivated architecture firm leaders to help one another achieve sustainable growth and abundant financial success. It's for the more experienced architect, it's for architecture firms that are a little bit bigger. They're not uh, large firms, they're not small firms, they're not so small firms. That's what we call them here at Entree Architect the not so small firms. So maybe. Uh, If you are a firm owner of a firm that's employing five or more people and maybe earning $1 million or more in annual revenue, we're talking to you. We're talking to you. That's still a small firm, but it's a larger small firm, right? And you have different priorities and different goals than sole practitioners and owners of smaller, small firms. So if that's you, I'm talking to you. You should go visit entrearchitect.com/leaders and learn more about entrearchitect leadership council. We built it for you. It is going to be a very powerful program here at entrearchitect. entrearchitect.com/leaders for the not so small firm firm owner. Go check it out at entrearchitect.com/leaders. Love, learn and share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week.